All righty. We were going to go in the Creation Museum to do it, but we, we got chicken with all the garb that he had on, and, and, uh, and there were some police officers around afraid they were throwing us out. And <laughs> we, tried to, we tried to go do it around by the, the, right in front of the sign, and one of the little security guys in one of these carts pulled up. It's like a little cult or something, man. They were just trying to throw, they throw us out or something. But we had a really good day. It, if you've never been to the Creation Museum, it's great. I mean, the exhibits are great. We've taken our kids and we will take them again and look forward to taking them down to the Noah's Ark uh, exhibit. It's really, really uh, a marvelous thing uh, to be able to see and a lot of great experiences and a lot of great exhibits uh, down there. Uh, but creation is really one of those huge controversial issues uh, that Christians disagree uh, upon. And that's what we're talking about in this Let's Agree to Disagree series. We're, we're anchoring this in Romans 14, uh, 1. In Romans 14, 1, the Apostle Paul says, you need to accept those whose faith is weak. And those whose faith is weak are many times those who, who attach things to their faith. Well, yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but you've also got to believe in this, and you've got to believe in this, and you've got to believe in this, and you've got to be baptized by immersion, and uh, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And, and, and Paul says those people are weak in the faith. The people that are strong in the faith, according to the Apostle Paul, who people who count on Jesus and nothing else. Christ and Christ alone. All through his arguments in Galatians, all through his arguments in, in Romans, when he's talking about people that are weak in the faith, he says they're people who are strong in Christ and will n- not let anything uh, knock them off the solid rock of Jesus Christ for their salvation. So we we, we talked that there are disputable matters that we can be able to agree upon. They're not black and white issues in Scripture. Uh, there are black and white issues in Scripture. There are issues in Scripture that are extremely, extremely important. And there are, last week we used the term timeless truths. There are timeless truths. But we also know there are things in, in Scripture that God didn't really make plain to us, but there are also things in Scripture that are, are culturally um, relevant. And we said that none of you uh, have ever come up and greeted me with a holy kiss. And the Bible tells you to do that. But, and so that means to me that every one of you interpret the Bible culturally. And you understand there are cultural things uh, in, uh, in the Bible. And there's many verses like that that we all use our brain, use our reason, and understand that that was meant for a day in time, and that was not really meant for today's day. But there are other issues that are timeless truths, like creation is a timeless truth. It's one that we cannot waver on. But God gives us very little information about that. Uh, the whole creation of the world is basically spoken to in two chapters. Something as, as, as consequential and something that is vital as it could possibly be is, is all talked about in two chapters. Something that is as complicated as anything that could ever ever happen how some being called that we call god created this world only gives two chapters to and that's probably because we couldn't really totally understand it if he did try to lay it out to it you have to remember now when god was writing uh uh inspiring men to write his word he was writing a timeless word that was had to be understood by people thousands of years ago and will have to be understand by people thousands of years from now if Jesus continues to tarry. And how do you write a book like that? Because language changes. 
How do, how do you write something that people can relate to thousands of years ago and people will be able to relate to thousands of years from now? So, so God had a real task on his shoulders when he had to inspire the biblical writers to write something that is going to be that timeless. And we said in um, the disputable matters issue that we have difficulty many times um, uh, not agreeing or agreeing to disagree. And we said last week that one of the reasons that people have difficulty agreeing to disagree is because people really don't know what they believe. And when someone pushes back on me, if I'm not really firm in what I believe or really know what I believe, I may get defensive about that. And that may offend me in some way because I have no rationale to defend what I believe. It's just because some preacher came along and told me or some TV preacher said it or my grandmother said it. And I've never really investigated the issue myself. I just swallowed it because somebody told me. And so when someone pushes back on me, I get kind of defensive because I realize that I don't even know what I believe, and I don't want things that I believe for 40 years to be go right down the tube, so I just get all mad, and we sometimes can't agree to disagree. And, I, and we talked last week on one of these issues, and that was women in ministry. And we said for, for as long as a church has been uh, here and as long as the church will be here, we've disagreed on women in ministries and women in ministry. And we've said the Church of Nazarene has always allowed women to be pastors and even senior pastors. And we talked about that and we laid out the biblical case for you that, that why we as Nazarenes would uh, say that it's okay for a female to be able to pastor. And I can't at all do that justice in the time that I preached. I just had to kind of buzz over that last week. But I try to do the best I can to lay out the biblical case on why we disagree with some of our other brethren, who, by the way, will be in heaven with us. This is not a heaven or hell issue. And how we can just extend our hand of friendship to them, and we can just agree to disagree on the issue of women in uh, ministry. And so there are areas that we can be able to hear different arguments, but we don't have to get bent out of shape. In fact, Aristotle, uh, great philosophers of all time, comes with a quote. And Aristotle's quote says, the mark of an educated mind is to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And, and who am I to be able to disagree with Aristotle? And I don't disagree. I would maybe try to improve on that, and I feel pretty arrogant even saying that. But I would say it's a mark of a mature mind. I, I, I don't think you have to have a bachelor's degree in college. I don't necessarily think you have to have a community college degree or whatever. I don't think your mind has to be educated, whatever educated means, to be able to do that. I, I think it's a mark of a mature mind. It's a mark of an adult mind that can entertain a thought, that can consider a thought, that can hear opposing views on a thought without totally accepting that. One of the things that you learn when you do go to college is you learn to interact with your textbooks. And your professors don't expect you to believe everything that's in the textbook. And what they want you to do is interact with that. And if you disagree with that, to be able to be courageous enough and mature enough and educated enough to say in class why you disagree with that. In fact, professors many times will use books that they don't agree with, just seeing if the people are have enough courage to say, well, what about this, what he wrote on page 17? And you learn that in college, not just to swallow everything that you read, but to interact with what you're reading. So I would like for us to be able to do that, whether we're reading a book, whether we're watching a TV show, whether we're watching a news channel, whether you just don't believe what's on the internet. You just don't believe everything that comes your way. You can be able to entertain that without totally accepting that. And so that's at the whole crux of this matter. Before I get into creation, may I say, 
I had a text discussion with someone in this church this week concerning some, some issues in this whole realm of agreeing to disagree. And as I was disagreeing, and I was trying to be as gracious as I possibly can, I was trying to be able to say what I understood about the issue, but I really was trying to be as gracious as I possibly can. And the person says, well, I'm disappointed that, that you don't have respect for me. Because I disagree with them, I don't have respect for them? Help me, friends. There's a lot of you that disagree with me on a lot of things. I mean, that's no skin off of my nose. There are people, I, I've, I've told you all, you all know this, that this is not a hidden thing. I made sure everybody knew it before they ever called me to this church. I've said it from this pulpit many times. Part of the sin that God forgave me went on August 29th, 1993 was the sin of divorce. I'm a divorced man. There are people in this world that do not think I have the right to be a pastor. I don't get mad at them. I mean, why should I get mad at them? I mean, I, I know where the scripture they go. We interpret those scriptures differently, and he, they have their side, I have my side. Why do I, why do I have to get offended because someone disagrees with me? I don't get it. I just, I don't get it. And this issue of creation is, is one of the places that we do disagree. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is one of the most, well, probably is the most profound ten words that have ever been put together in a sentence. Are, are there, are there, could there be a sentence that is more consequential could there be 10 words that are ever put together in a sentence that, that have more consequences than those 10 words? I could argue that these are most important 10 words in all the Bible. And you could push back on me and say, well, that, you know, what about the words about Jesus' death and resurrection and the cross and what he did for us? And I would say and it's, it's kind of very difficult to be able to to believe in a Jesus who came down from this earth and his sin, his death paid penalty for all sin. That someone outside of, of, of this world came to this earth. If you can't believe in a supranatural God who's outside of this world, who's not controlled by the flux and flow of nature, I mean, how can, I, I, I don't have, if I can believe that, I can believe that Jonah was in the belly of a whale. If I can believe that, I can believe that, that, that Moses parted the Red Sea. See, I think it's fascinating. God doesn't wean us into the Bible. He doesn't wean us in with some little easy-to-believe doctrine. He hits us with one of the hardest right from the back. And if you can believe there is a, a, a not a supernatural, okay? Supernatural is a natural person with, with super abilities. A supranatural. He's above this created earth he, he's not controlled by this earth he's above it he's outside the, the the natural laws of this world do not pertain to him if you can believe that verse genesis 1 1 then then there's a whole lot of things in scripture that are very easy for you to be able to grasp and god just nails us right off the bat fascinating in that passage that god doesn't ever make an argument for himself he just says, in the beginning, I did this. 
And we believe that he inspired Moses to write this. Most biblical scholars would agree with that. Where did Moses get that? All of, all of the surrounding nations, uh, they had creation myths that there was a Mr. God and a Mrs. God. And, and, and they all had their own. Google A-N-E, ancient Near Eastern, Google A-N-E creation myths. And you'll read seven or eight different creation myths that were prevalent in Moses's time and they all had to do with a god and his wife and and one of the most prevalent of that day was he had a god and his wife and they had little god children and the the uh the little children they killed the mom and then they killed the god and they cut him in half and with half he made they made the heavens and half they made the earth that's a creation myth and and that's 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 the, the, around Moses's day that's what people believe so where in the world no one believed in one God. Where in the world would Moses have come up with this if this was not divinely re, uh, revealed to him? It'd be like us in Greene County believing something that all the other counties in Ohio just thought was silly. That's what happened here when Moses wrote these words. In fact, TNT, uh, Turner Broadcasting Network, did a series on some biblical characters, and they did one on uh, Abraham. And when Abraham was called by God to be able to leave his country, and um, uh, in the movie, he goes back and tells his daddy, and his daddy, I think his name is Tara in Scripture, and he tells his daddy, he says, God wants me to leave. And Tara gives the most reasonable response that any daddy of that age would have given. He says, which God? And, and Abraham kind of drops his head and said, God. And then Tara opens his a, the big case that looks something like a, maybe a wardrobe and has all these idols. He says, tell me which God. We've got like a hundred of them. This is a fascinating statement. In the beginning, God has created the heavens and the earth. Has there been any more blood spilled, any more books written, any more churches split, any more debates argued, over any one sentence in the history of this world other than that one. See, secular people battle us here tooth and nail. See, secular people don't really care too much about uh, a lot of things that sometimes we may argue over. They couldn't care less about pews or chairs or drums or pianos or organs or whether you wear a coat and tie or not. And, and, and they couldn't care whether you baptize by immersion or sprinkling. A lot of things that we get all bent out of shape, they couldn't care less about. But they care about Genesis one more because they're smart enough to know that if God is the creator, then we are creatures. And creatures are ultimately responsible to a creator. And that's why they fight it. tooth and nail they know this makes God the owner and the one who is the owner has rights and that's why the secular world will fight this tooth and nail now our friend Ken Ham goes down to northern Kentucky and spends 30 million dollars on the creation museum and another however many million dollars on the ark and i think it's fine we've gone we'll go again i'd recommend for any of you to go enjoy for what it's there 
But the Bible says that you can't ever convince anybody about argue anybody into the create, believing in creation. It's, it's, you, know, you can present all the arguments that you want to present. You can, you can have debates and you can have Ken Ham here and you can have a, a, a noted evolutionist, whoever that may be here, and they can argue back and forth. And the Bible says you're never going to convince anyone of anything uh, in the whole creation arena by arguing or by apologetics and that's what we call make take making a defense of the faith and a lot of people like Ravi Zacharias make a career as being an apologist for the faith and this fascinating people he says but you'll never convince anyone because Hebrews 11 3 plainly says this is kind of black and white Hebrews 11 3 says by faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command it's only by faith it's only by faith that we understand that it's a faith statement We'll never have conclusive proof on that because God has not given us conclusive proof on that. He hasn't made any kind of apologetic for himself. He simply said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all he did. He, he, he didn't give a, a, a whole book that explained and argued for the existence of himself. He didn't do that. He simply assumed his existence and said, in the beginning. And that's why one of the most awesome things about scripture is just what some preachers call the isness the isness of god god just is and he doesn't defend that he just comes out and says i am he is and he does that in the very first verse of the whole book and he says you've got to go through this doctrine of creation to get into my word I'm, this may be a stretch. But if, if you can never receive God as creator and understand him as being creator, then obviously you'll never understand yourself as a creature. And you'll probably never understand your accountability to God. If you never understand your accountability to God, how will you ever know that you're a sinner that's in need of a Savior? <laughs> you see how that flows? I mean, if I, can, if I never grasp that the, the, the world is God's and everything in it, and he is the creator, then I'll never be able to think that I'm a creature, and a creature makes me responsible, makes me accountable. And if I never get to my accountability, how will I ever get to the point that I'm a sinner that's in need of a savior. Think that through. Now it's interesting when you come to Genesis 1:1, Genesis 1, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 where we get the most data on creation. It's interesting when we do that that if you come to Genesis 1-1 or come to Genesis chapter 1 or chapter 2, if you come to it looking for science and biology, you're not going to find it. It's not in the text. There's no science there. There's no biology. God does not at all explain the how. God does not explain the how. He says, I spoke this world into existence. He says he took uh, from the dust of the earth. Now, there's a whole lot in between that he left out there. <laughs> and what in the world does speak in this world into existence mean? I don't know what it means. You don't know what it means. It means just God did something and, and, and something happened. 
If you go to Genesis 1 and expect to go there and see science, you won't find it because God has chosen not to tell us that. And you know what? What God has chosen not to tell us, we didn't need to know. What God has chosen not to reveal to me, I don't need to know to live my life wholly devoted to him. And I, I challenge you to go to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and not use things outside the Bible, but just read the text. My, my New Testament professor, Dr. Joe Green, he says, you don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know Hebrew to read the Old Testament or Greek to know the New Testament. He says, you just need to read the text closely. And he says, we as Christians many times don't read the text closely because we, we've read it so many times we just kind of skim and we miss so much that's there. That's why many of you had, have come across something in, in the Bible before, and you said, I never saw that before, even though you've read that four or five times. I never saw that before. And when you look in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you don't find science. <laughs> God did not tell you how. God did not tell you when. He just said, in the beginning. And actually, some Hebrew scholars will argue that a better translating... Now, there's people on both sides of this issue. But some Hebrew scholars will argue that a better translation of the word that we get as beginning is at some point. But we as, we as humans like to date things. In fact, in fact, in the Hebrew, it, it doesn't say in the beginning. In the Hebrew, it says in beginning. We put the the on there because it helps us read that, and that's really good. That's a good insertion. But we also put the the on there because we date things, because the the dates in the beginning, because we like dates. We like dates. You know when you were married. You know your birth date. You know what year car you drive. You know what year you graduated from high school. If you went to college, you know what year you graduated from college. You know, the year your son was born, your daughter was born. We like dates. We're fascinated as human beings with dates and times. God's not. At least in Genesis 1 and 2, he's not. And you know what? I believe in God's word, and I don't want to add anything to it, or I don't want to take anything away from it. Because the Bible says at the end of God's revelation, in, in, in Revelation chapter 21 or 22, whatever the last chapter of Revelation is, the Bible says there's a curse going to be given to me if I add anything to his word or take anything away from it. So I take his word so seriously. And I do not want to say something that it doesn't, but I want to say everything that it does. And I'm just as shaky and weak-kneed about saying something it doesn't than I would be about saying something saying, uh, not saying something that it does say. In Genesis 1 and 2, God hadn't told us. You can't find science, and you shouldn't find science. Science is incapable of speaking to what we understand to be the creation. Incapable. Because what is Science. Science is nothing more, you learned this in junior high, science is nothing more than the observance of repeated behaviors. That's all science is, right? You learned that in junior high science class. It's just the observance of repeated behaviors. So I got a ball right here, and I throw a ball up, 
and it comes down to the ground. And I look at it and I say, huh. And the next day I come along and I throw a ball up and it comes down again and I say, huh. And I do that for 30 days in a row and I said, that must happen all the time that you throw balls up. And so we come along with something called gravity. Because science is just the, the observation of repeated behaviors, repeated actions. Creation is a one-time event. Science cannot speak to one-time events. It's outside of its domain. Now, I'm not anti-science. We as biblical Christians should be more pro-science than anyone. And we want to hear all that science has for us. Because God has given scientists their brain and their unbelievable abilities to reason and to sort things out that the rest of us could never do that. We are pro-science. But there are some things that are out of the scientist's domain. Just like tra- taking the transition, transmission out of my car is out of my domain. It's totally out of my wheelhouse. I couldn't do that. And so, a, speaking to a one-time event is out of the scientist's domain. That's why scientists can't say anything to the virgin birth. They can't say anything to that. It's a one-time event. That's why science can't say anything to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a one-time event. Don't expect them to. Don't get fired up when they don't. It's out of their domain. It's not a put-down of science. It absolutely is not a put It's just it's not what they do. I would ask some of you to come up here and preach a sermon on creation and you just freak out because it's out of your domain. It's out of your wheelhouse. So if God doesn't speak directly and plainly to this, why should I? Why should I be dogmatic on any side of this issue? You've got, you've got people, you know, my, own, my old King James Bible, the first Bible that I ever had, you know, above Genesis 1-1, there was a little paragraph heading that dated it, and it said 6,000 B.C., and that was obviously we all know that's inserted by man. We, we, all the paragraph headings in your Bible are inserted by man. All, all the numbers of the verses in your Bible are inserted by man. I mean, we all know that, okay? The Bible wasn't written with verse 21 in it. But why in, in the world do we force the Bible to say something that it doesn't? The people that believe in a young earth, they may absolutely be right. The people that believe in six literal days of creation may absolutely be right. The Christians that believe in an older earth, millions, billions, Maybe they're right. The Bible doesn't say. Personally, and this is where the Nazarene church is as well, and I'll show you that in just a second. Personally, I couldn't care less. Because believing in that six days or six billion years has nothing to do with me being a better husband to my wife, and that's what I'm really, really concerned with. really concerned with that 
doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. If I, I can believe in six days or I can believe in a billion years, and, and either one of those positions doesn't make me a better dad and love my boys more. I can, I, I can, I can believe in, in six days or I can believe in a billion years and still love Jesus with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and claim him as my own. This argument to me is inconsequential. And the reason it's inconsequential is because it seems to be inconsequential to God because he hasn't said anything about dates and times. Friends, the people that believe literal days and the people that believe uh, young earth, six to 10,000 years, God bless them. I think that is great. And the people that believe in billions of years and an older earth, God bless them. But what do you believe, Mark? I don't really even care. I don't think about it. It, it has no effect on me on being a wholly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So I don't even, I don't even take a position because it doesn't bother me. And, and the main reason I don't take a position is because the Bible doesn't take a position. I like the way our, our Church of the Nazarene understands this. I, I quoted from the manual here, paragraph 903, verse 9. The Church of Nazarene believes in the biblical account of creation, and it quotes a part of that first verse. Now, this is what I like. We oppose any godless interpretation of the origin of the universe and its humankind. Now, godless doesn't mean what some of you think. Godless just means we, we oppose any interpretation that is void of God at the center. We oppose any interpretation or understanding of creation where God is not the main deal right there. Now that leaves a whole lot that's open, but it closes it, and it's narrow as the Bible is narrow, and it is broad or liberal as the Bible is liberal. It is conservative as the Bible is conservative because 30 times in Genesis 1, you get the name God, or obviously in the Hebrew it's Elohim. You get God, or you get the pronoun he. 30 times in Genesis chapter 1. They're trying to beat us over the head with God, 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 God. God did something. That's the point. That's the point of Genesis 1. God is created. That's the issue. Don't miss this. God is created. And that's a huge thing not to miss. Because when you get to Romans 1, you said, you, me, all of us, all the little people in Papua New Guinea that have never heard of Jesus will be held without excuse because of the miracle of creation. Because they can look up into the sky and know there has to be some kind of being somewhere that has done something. And Romans chapter 1 says that's how important it is for you to understand that there's some being that the Bible refers to Elohim or the Bible refers to God that, has, that is on the move in Genesis chapter 1, that has done something. Don't miss that. It's just like the Bible beats us over the head with us 30 times in Genesis chapter 1. God, 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 God. Or a few times he. God, 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 God. If I come 
And I can have all my charts and graphs. You've seen some TV preachers? They get all their charts and graphs behind them. And they'll, they'll explain all this to you. And they got God figured out. And they got this whole thing figured out. I don't want a God I can figure out. Because if I have a God I can figure out, I cease to worship him. I cease to worship him. We don't worship things we have figured out. I want a God that is higher than me. I want a God that my finite mind cannot understand, at least fully. But watch John Hagee. He's got it all figured out. He's got it all figured out. I'll leave you with this. People who come to Genesis 1 looking for science and biology and dates and times and hows and whens, they're looking for the trivial. They're looking for the inconsequential. They're looking for the part, and they're missing the center. Church, don't miss the center. Don't live your Christian life for the parts and you miss the center. There's lots of parts to this Christian life. Lots of things we can do, agree to disagree. There's lots of parts. Lots of parts. Don't live your life on the margins. Don't live your life for the parts and miss the core of this whole thing. And there's a loving God who had no reason in this world to create. He was self-sufficient of him, in and of himself. Just like you all as parents, you had no reason to create. You're self-sufficient. You don't need children, but you love one another, and you got love in your heart, and you want to be able to share that with somebody else. And that's what our God did. God has created. understand the how, the when, the why if, we, if he told you. Don't live your life for the parts. Live it for the center. And the center of Genesis 1 and 2 is God. He's done something. He is on the move. It's not 6,000 6 billion. Heard no preacher say one time, said, you know, I'm okay with the Big Bang as long as God is the Big Banger. <laughs> who knows what happened when God said let? When God said let, who knows what happened? Maybe there was a Big Bang. Maybe just the sheer, the sheer sound of his voice to creation threw the whole thing in a mess. Who knows? I don't know. And I can speculate just like anybody else can speculate. Don't live your life for the parts. Don't get bent out, think, bent out of shape on things in the Christian life that are all on the parts. Live your life for the center. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. You know, that's why you come to church on Sunday. Because this world is full of parts, isn't it? Parts, taking kids to piano lessons, that's a part. It's a good thing, good thing. It's a part. Swimming lessons, swimming team. It's a good thing, good thing. It's a part. 
You know, I went down to Mason, Ohio for the tennis tournament yesterday with my boys. It's kind of a tradition that we have. It's a good thing. It's a part. It's a part. Had a great time on vacation in Florida. Good thing, but it's a part. Spent a little time yesterday looking at our retirement accounts and, and planning now. I'm about 10 years away from retirement and planning how I can make sure that, there's, that we're making good, adequate preparations for that. And that's a good thing, but that's a part. Part, 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 part. We all got parts. All God's children got parts. Life's made up of parts. Parts, parts, parts. It's all life's made up of parts, parts, parts. Don't live your life for the parts. You come to church on Sunday to recenter you. Because all week you've been dealing with parts. Good parts. Earn a living's a good part. All week you've been dealing with the margins. You've been dealing with parts. You come to church on Sunday to recenter yourself to the one true eternal thing. And that's our creator God who before the foundation of the world said there was a lamb that was slain. Before the Bible says before the foundation of the world there was a lamb that was slain. So in the mind of the Trinity, God, Father, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this salvation plan had been worked out even before God said, let. And we were come to the table this morning. In just flat out awesome wonder of a God that could spin this world into existence. A God that can say, this far the ocean shall come and no farther. God by the very breath created this world and that God loves me so much he gave Jesus to die for me as you come to the table this morning contemplate on the wonder the wonder of that thought can our ushers come forward please father I pushed a lot of people out of their comfort zone because we have a culture of soundbite Christianity that believes any different uh, anything that comes across the internet or cute little thing and we don't investigate very much and father in my investigation I've come to kind of be an agnostic about this whole creation thing I just don't know I just don't know how he did it, how you did it, and when you did it. And I'm okay looking at you square in the eye and saying, I just, I just don't know because you haven't told me in your word. Father, make, make us people of the word. Don't let us add to, don't let us take away. And may we stand on your word. And sometimes in the, in the church of Jesus Christ, those are controversial stands because the tradition of the church many times will... Try to force us and to say something the Bible actually doesn't say. Help us to stand on your word and not take anything from it, but not add anything to it. Father, I pray for the people in the sound of my voice right here in this place or listening on the internet. May they take what I've said. May they not believe it, but may they search the scriptures and decide for themselves. And not let Mark Atherton, Ken Ham, or anyone in between, just spoon feed them. 
pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.